Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is also available at airlinesconfidential.com. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net. He thinks it's a terrible thing that you know the full price of your airline ticket before you buy it. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Well, that's close to right, Seth. We'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> but I hope our listeners won't schwitz or plots when they hear today's schmagegi <laughs> of the Michiganish Schlamazel and maybe of all things fakakta in the air. Our podcast resident, Schlemiel, not to mention an unfailing mensch, Seth Kaplan, NPR's Here and Now Transportation Analyst. Oh, my goodness. That was perfect, Ben. Pushing back from the gate. This is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. For anybody, by the way, who doesn't know what Ben's talking about, go back, uh, listen to about the past four or five episodes. You'll get it. We're going to debate a proposal to ease up on some regulation of airlines. If it's good for airlines, is it bad for passengers? We'll discuss whether we should at least be able to agree on how big a bag can fit under a seat, then it's passengers behaving badly and fine or whine. But first, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Well, first, let's do some quick coronavirus talk. Quick, not because it's unimportant, on the contrary, but because I have a feeling we'll be talking about this pretty frequently and I want to make sure to cover other important topics. Now we have airlines everywhere issuing issuing all kinds of waivers, giving travelers more flexibility about getting their money back or changing their plans. JetBlue even said its most restricted fares would basically be refundable, or at least you get a voucher for future travel without any penalty. Ben, first of all, let's talk about whether people should be concerned about flying. There's this idea out there about dirty airplane air. And actually, I think if you're at any elevated risk from flying, It's just because you're in a small space with lots of people, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think that's probably it. And um, whether or not people should be concerned about flying or not, the fact is they are concerned about it. So I think that's why airlines are reacting to this. People are seeing some travel being booked away. Our government has put out phrasing like, don't travel, dot, dot, dot. If you're going to South Korea, right? And so, <laughs> right? And but a so lot of people just read, don't travel. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And so, um, you know, if you're organizing a business conference or if you're planning some, you know, destination sort of vacation and you're thinking about, well, well, should we really do this? There's lots of things you can read in the paper that says maybe we should just hold off on this right now. And so airlines have to react to this. Add to that the fact that, you know, there aren't flights into China or a lot of flights have been canceled into China and that capacity has got to go somewhere. You know, if they get through the airport and if they make it through and get on the plane, there's some risk, of course, that you don't know you have the virus and then you're sitting on the airplane and you're coughing and you're in that space. But the the air in the plane is circulated regularly. It's quite clean. The idea of dirty air in the airplane, I think, is way overblown. There actually so, is fresh air coming in from outside because people think it's like it's recirculated air. And I actually spent some time this week kind of learning more about this just because I get asked a lot about it. And, and it's interesting. There was even a study a couple of years ago from Emory University. I, I found this interesting. They looked at, you know, are you more 
likely to get sick when you're on an airplane and actually based on even where you're sitting on the plane. And they found that people in window seats tended not to get sick as much as people in other seats, a middle or an aisle. And of course, it's not that there's anything magical about the window. It's just that you're not surrounded by as many people. And so that kind of tells you that if you're going to get sick on a plane, it's probably because the person next to you is sick, just like if the person sitting next to you at a bar or in a movie theater or anywhere else where you are is sick. There was that, I won't quoted, even if I could remember all of it, but Andrew Dice Clay, uh, who a lot of people remember, a <laughs> filthy comedian, right? He, he had this bit about it. This is how, how long back it goes. He was joking about smoking on planes, right? And and uh, But he made the point, he said, you know, you're in a tube. You know, he, he, was, he was saying that, you know, you're, you're just, you're in this, this small space with all these people. And, and, and it seems from everything I can understand, you're not being an epidemiologist or an engineer, that that, that that's really what it comes down to is just lots of people around you, nothing particular to an airplane as opposed to anything else. I think that's exactly right. And uh, most flights aren't that long, you know, a couple hours. That's the average flight. Of course, there are longer flights and we've talked about those on, on this podcast. But yeah. uh, the average flight is two to three hours long. And you, you sit in a restaurant that amount of time and there's people coughing there, too, and things. So you're you're exactly right. This is a case of there's just so much news about this virus. People have died from it. The first person in the U.S. have died. So we can't take it lightly. Yeah. There's also the politicization of, you know, is the is the government doing enough, too much, in the right yeah. way, the wrong way? There's all that yeah. issue. So it's just in the news all the time. So it's going to affect people's decisions. And that absolutely is affecting airline demand right now. The question is, how long will that be the case? Right. I, I haven't flown during the past week or so, but I've been out at the airport you know, doing TV live shots and so forth. And very broadly, it looks to me as though people are mostly still flying. I mean, it didn't look to me anything like the post 9-11 period in the U.S. You know, where airports were just just kind of empty. But the, the flexibility that airlines are showing, uh, the, the very liberal change policy by JetBlue and so forth, it tells me airlines must be seeing some kind of measurable booking softness. Nothing I can see with my eyes, but you know, I can't with my eyes see if if there's a 5 or 10% drop, which would be important for airlines. I think that's right, Seth. And the important thing I think if you note is that most of these restriction waivers that airlines have posted are relatively short term in nature. If you fly, if you buy a ticket for the next few weeks or so, and it's just because people don't know how long this is. Airlines aren't sort of diluting the entire summer travel period. They're not saying we think this is an issue for the whole year. They're saying right now we realize the trip you might want to take in the near term, you might be wondering, should I take it or not? So we'll give you the tool to say, buy it now. And if you decide at the time you can't go or you shouldn't go because of new news, you won't lose the money. And that seems to me to be really smart, sort of protect the near term and wait to see what happens longer. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the U.S. Department of Transportation is proposing to clarify what would be considered, quote, unfair and deceptive practices in the airline industry. Now, there are a lot of details, but let's just boil down to this. Airline industry groups seem happy and consumer advocates seem concerned. So as you could guess, this is perhaps a liberalization after some years uh, of, in some cases, tighter restrictions on airline marketing practices and so forth. Ben, if I recall correctly, back at Spirit, when you ran the place, you were fairly vocal about opposing several of those rules changes over the past decade. I want to challenge you about a couple of those. First, 
there's the rule now that in the U.S. we all have 24 hours to change our minds after booking an airline ticket as long as it's more than a week before we travel. As a passenger, I sure like that, right? I, I can book a ticket and I'm not truly committing. I, I, I can have buyer's remorse. I remember you saying, again, back at Spirit, that that would be the end of the world as we know it or something like that anyway. What, 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 was, what was the opposition to that? Well, it wasn't quite end of the world. What I no. said is it's not free. Airlines sell what you know economists call a spoilable product. When the plane takes off, you can never sell a seat that wasn't sold, right? If that seat is gone forever, just like a hotel room can't be booked after the night's over, right? Yeah. So when you allow someone to take that seat out of the ability to sell, take it out of inventory, and then they have the right to just return it to you, it's possible the airline might lose a sale for that seat forever because in the time that the person's holding that ticket, they would have another another buyer might have come along. It's you know this is an extreme case, but imagine if you have a, a gallon of milk at a grocery store that is that has an expiration date of two days from now, but you're allowed to buy the gallon of milk, and as long as the cap isn't open, you can return it the next day. Would that be good for the grocery store? Of course it wouldn't. It's the same idea, right? Because nobody's so, going to buy that milk, right? So my point was, it's not free. And the effect of that very consumer-friendly rule, and I agree it's very friendly to consumers, the effect is that's going to ultimately, and would ultimately, I said at the time, and I think I was right, was going to raise fares for all consumers. Because the net effect is that airlines are going to have more seats that aren't sold as a result of this. And who pays for that? The people who buy the seats have to pay a little more to cover all the seats saved for people who might want to change their mind. And look, it, it's impossible to sort of tease out all the variables because there's so many moving parts here, right? But are, but do you believe that that has happened, right? I mean, we can't look at airfares and say, are they higher or are they lower? And is it a result of that? Because there are a million other things that have changed in the world. But do you still believe that just as an economic principle that airfares are higher than they would be if that rule didn't exist by some amount? Yeah, by some amount. It might be cents, right? It might be a small amount, but it absolutely is true. And and the the idea of regulating something around that when customers can buy refundable tickets on most airlines, they can, for a very nominal price, buy insurance that would cover them if their plans change. So the idea of sort of forcing an industry that sells a spoilable product to give that 24-hour sort of lemon law uh, application, if you will, like they're yeah. that are on cars. It just seems to me it's uh, they that that the regulators looked at the really good consumer benefit, and I agree it is, but didn't stop to think about what will this really cost airlines and how will that be passed back to consumers. And then let's talk about something that you were clearly even more wrong about than that, Ben. Uh, the rule I'm talking, joking, kind of. Not really. The rule that airlines have to advertise the full price of an airline ticket, or at least a price it's possible to pay. Maybe it doesn't include all the extras. But nowadays, if you see an advertised fare, you know, if you see $59 to Chicago, then as long as you travel light and you don't care about advanced seat assignments and things like that, you can actually travel to Chicago for $59. What's so wrong with that? Because I think you opposed that too, didn't you? Well, I did oppose that on the grounds that it was justified, this unfair and deceptive. And so let's talk about that, Seth. I think the Department of Transportation was justifiably frustrated with the relatively rapid application of ancillary fees like bags, seat assignments, things like that. 
And they were getting a lot of feedback from consumers of, hey, I buy this ticket and it's $59, but then I got to pay for my bag. I got to pay for my seat assignment. I may have to buy something to eat on board the airplane. I end up paying a lot more. And since the but, but also, but also, and let me just stop, but also like taxes and fee, like mandatory stuff too, right? Even, yes, even if I didn't stuff. buy That's any right. of that, like if it was $59, I could not, you know, when I went to buy it, it might be $76, you know, even if I didn't buy anything extra because That's of right. taxes and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. And so I think what the DOT really wanted to do was to require like fares to be bundled again, right? To say that, you know, people can't get stuck yeah. with all these extra fees, but as a result of the Airline Deregulation Act in 1978, they didn't have pricing authority. Right. What they have is this unfair and deceptive practices. So let me ask you this, Seth. What do you think is more deceptive? $100 gets you to Chicago, or $60 in fare plus $40 in taxes gets you to Chicago? Which is more deceptive? Yeah, it, it, it's and it's tricky, right? Because I, I have to say that nowadays, I kind of like it that I see a fare and 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 I actually like I said I, I you know I understand it. I'm not gonna it, it might only include safe travel and not a bag and not the rest of it but it's possible to travel at that price and yet I recognize that that's so different from every other industry right I go into a restaurant I mean in America especially I know that there's gonna be you know on top of the prices of food there's gonna be taxes and a tip and all that you know and the, and the final price is not gonna look anything like the price on the menu. So in a sense, airlines are in an, even in the travel industry, Ben, hotels, my God, first of all, taxes in a lot of places are higher on hotels. Uh, that's not their fault. But then there are the resort fees and venue fees and all this other stuff. And, and the final price looks nothing like what they're able to advertise. So 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 it's interesting. I, I, I like it that the fare is the fare on the airline, again, not the extras, but I if I pack light and I don't care about a seat assignment, I can actually travel at that fair. But on the other hand, that is so different from, from every other industry. It's, it's, it's different, not just in travel. It's almost everything we buy with the exception of gasoline. Gasoline has taxes built into the price. Right. Um, I think cigarettes do, but I don't buy cigarettes, but I think yeah. they do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe you start, uh, start smoking as an experiment. Find out. Right? <laughs> you know, but what really bothered me about this was the use of unfair and deceptive. They were basically saying that airlines were being deceptive by not including government taxes in the fare. And that to me just seems wrong. And, I, and maybe I'm cynical and maybe I'm maybe some people are going to put me in this conspiracy theory world. But my concern is when the taxes are hidden from customers, it becomes very easy to raise the taxes over the time. And it just looks like the those dumb airlines are raising fares again, when yeah. in fact, the government raised your taxes. So I think it's good for customers to know this is what the airlines charging you. This is what the government is taking from that to run the air traffic control system and to build airports. I'm not saying the taxes aren't appropriate, but to know what you're paying for, I think is a really good thing for consumers. And I admit that it's easy to look and see $59 to Chicago as long as I don't check a bag or pick where I sit on the plane or eat anything, I can get there for $59, right? But um, this idea that everything we buy is plus taxes, you see you know, a great car advertised in the newspaper, only $22,000 plus tax title and license. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, right? Yeah. And nobody walks out of that. Nobody drives out of that lot paying $22,000, right? They yeah. pay the taxes on that and they buy their license and, and they buy the registration for the car. So, and people know that when they buy a car and when we buy things, we know we pay taxes on them. 
And so to hide that seems to me a little disingenuous. And so it's not the policy itself of bundling the ticket. It's the fact that it was justified saying that it was unfair and deceptive not to. That's what I was really responding to. Yeah, well, as my conspiracy theorist co-host takes off his tinfoil hat, let's turn to passengers <laughs> behaving badly. The Chinese domestic airline market, uh, of course, has other things to worry about lately. But back before the coronavirus, a man was detained for 10 days after throwing coins toward a Hainan Airlines aircraft engine because he thought it would be good luck. The man's <laughs> wife and baby boarded the flight. Uh, too, too bad, honey. <laughs> Where we're going, <laughs> which was delayed for 40 minutes. That was nothing compared to a separate delay of a full day after a man tossed coins toward the engine of a plane operated by, of all things, Lucky Air. It's a Chinese <laughs> airline. The airline actually sued the passenger, saying he caused $21,000 in losses. Another passenger threw eight coins toward the engine of a China Southern plane. One of them hit the engine. Now, as the points guy wrote back then, quote, while a few small coins might seem pretty innocuous, if sucked up by the engine, they could cause extensive damage or total engine failure, unquote. Ben, if you really believe tossing coins will bring you good luck, please toss them into a fountain, not toward an aircraft engine. <laughs> well, it seems kind of obvious that most people might realize that, right, Seth? But different cultures have different traditions. And if throwing coins at something gives that something luck, then I can see why somebody might want to do that. But to throw anything into a fast moving turbine just seems like someone isn't thinking. I mean, throw them at the body of the plane, throw them at the tires, right? If you got to throw them on, <laughs> if you got to throw them on something, right? <laughs> While it's on the ground. <laughs> exactly. It just well, seems like exactly the wrong place to throw the coin. You would think so. Well, now at cruise altitude here on Airlines Confidential, we stand corrected once again by a listener. And what's the correct bag size to store under a seat? Is there just one correct size? And then a complaint during finer wine. More Airlines Confidential is next. Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next, but first, let's go to the mailbag. Bunky from San Diego sends us a message with the subject line, Island Hopper is alive. Uh, ben, I remember you mentioned the uh, Continental Island Hopper, and I guess you, you might have said, like, they used to do this and, and didn't specify. Anyway, Bunky clarifies for us <laughs> to eliminate any doubt. The Island Hopper, begun by Continental Air Micronesia, still exists after the United merger. It never operated from the West Coast uh, with 727s, now 737 new generation aircraft. Uh, those were only flown west of Honolulu. The technical stop between Honolulu and Maduro at Midway or Wake Islands was removed when the 737 NGs, NG stands for new generation, that's, that's, that's now the... Well, I guess it still is the latest generation flying because of the because the Max is grounded. But anyway, the the, the Dash 800s and all those ever since those began. Bunky continues. The Island Hopper still operates three times per week between Honolulu and Guam with stops at Maduro 
Kwajalein Pone, Kosre, and Truck. Apologies if I mispronounced any of those. Uh, United also has a daily triple seven nonstop flying Honolulu, Guam, plus Guam service to Saipan, Yap, Cora, Manila, and several Japanese airports. Thank you, Bunky. Let's take a question now. Philip from Cambridge, England writes, I'm enjoying the podcast from the other side of the Atlantic. My question sort of follows on from previous fine or wine topics about cabin bags. And it's about the personal bags, also known as the underseat bags. While cabin bags among airlines are standardized, uh, today I add a standard of, of uh, it, it gives it in centimeters, and actually different airlines in various parts of the world actually do have different, diff- slightly different measurements for that. But Philip says the recent trade here, I means over there in Europe, is among low-cost carriers allowing a small underseat bag for free. So Philip's talking about Wizz Air, for example. I think Ryanair at various times has or hasn't um, uh, charged for cabin bags. However, the size allowance seems to be all over the place. Norwegian has just started to introduce a personal bag of 38 by 30 by 20 centimeters, which is different from Ryanair's 40 by 25 by 20 and EasyJet's 45 by 36 by 20. Uh, Don't try to memorize all those. The point is that they're all different. Compare this to the two big American ultra-low-cost carriers of Spirit and Frontier, which have a standard 18 by 14 by 8 inches. Surely, if you don't want to get the same problems uh, with aggravation between gate staff and passengers, why don't they create a standard size? Philip, I have to tell you, actually, I because I'm aware a couple other U.S. airlines have that those same policies – uh, I looked it up, and I hate to tell you, but guess what? It's the same situation here. You're right that those two, Spirit and Frontier, are the same. But Allegiant, which does the same thing, you have to charge for a full-size carry-on. I looked it up. They are slightly different. You mentioned 18 by 14 by 8. Allegiant is 16 by 15 by 7. And United Airlines, who, which has a basic economy fare that does not include full-size carry-on bags if you need bin space, United is... 17 by 10 by 9. So that's different from Allegiant and different also from Spirit and Frontier. <laughs> ben, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember when I when I was in I was in kindergarten and they had four reading groups. The teacher had four reading groups. They were color coded, red, orange, green and blue. Okay? And I remember I started the year in the orange group. It was the second that I got promoted to the first group, the red group. Okay? The the best the highest reading group Then I remember I went to the first day of first grade and true story. I came home crying to my mom because I was in the green group and I, and this was my first lesson, the uh, first day of uh, first grade that not everything in the world is standardized. I thought that in every classroom in the world, the green group was the second to the lowest group. Like it was back in kindergarten. No, the teacher just had different groups. The green group was the highest group <laughs> in, the, in the first grade. Should teachers and should airlines standardize all of these kinds of things? Oh, the world is so complicated, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Hasn't gotten any easier for me since then. Well, and these ULCCs have really messed it up, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is – it would be nice, just like uh, the 24-hour rule is nice. It would be nice if there was some standard and you you could buy a bag at Target or Amazon or wherever you buy your bags and know that whichever airline I travel, this is going to fit under the seat. But – that's not really, I don't really expect that to happen. Airlines choose how to outfit the inside of their planes. 
airlines actually call, there's a term for that, they call it BFE, buyer furnished equipment. So when you buy the plane from Boeing or Airbus or whoever, they don't sell seats. They put the seats in it you buy from someone else. And the seats can have more room underneath them or not. And so if you have more room under the seat, the airline might want to say, we want to benefit our passengers by letting them put something a little bit bigger under the seat. In the case of Allegiant, they had those very small tubed MD-80s for a long time. I know they're moving out of those. That may have been a reason that theirs is the smallest size. Because maybe oh, but United. Oh, and it makes sense. United has on, on a lot of its plays anyway seat back uh, in-flight entertainment, whereas Spirit and Frontier don't. So it might have that kind of equipment under the seat, and that that's might right. Be why United just doesn't have as much room. Yeah. So the so the the size that can fit is can in some ways be a function of the way the airline outfits the seats, how many they have, what type the seat is, what the manufacturer of the seat is. So if you standardize it, you would almost have to go to the smallest number or the smallest dimension to standardize it. Otherwise, you'd be essentially requiring airlines to spend literally millions of dollars to rip out all their seats and buy new seats for ones that could fit. So I don't think it would be good for consumers if things were standardized to the smallest dimension. And that's likely what would have to happen if if there were a forced standardization. I think the thing is, buy a reasonably sized small bag that is likely to fit in most and use the size the sizers that every airline has. You can check before you check in whether your bag is going to fit under the seat or not. And yes, that might change whether you need to pay for it to bring it on board or whether you decide to check it. But there's not the risk of you sort of not knowing before you board the plane, maybe before you buy the ticket or just read carefully and measure your bags, which isn't a fun thing to do. I'm not saying this isn't complicated, but I'm just saying that I wouldn't hold out hope that there's gonna be a standardization. And if there were, I think a lot of people would say, oh, don't wish too hard, you got what you asked for, and now everybody can only carry very small bags on board. Funny, by the way, also how those teachers think that by doing the colors, instead of saying like group one, two, three, and four, the kids don't know, which is the, uh, they don't figure out, which is the- uh, (laughs) That's (laughs) so wrong. Terrible. Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. That's 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint and then we talk about whether the complaint is fine or maybe whether the airline should be fined or if the customer is just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, I do, Seth. This one is from Heather of Waikoloa, Hawaii. I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah. Heather writes, I have you, never I'm been... going to be the one to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> Heather writes, I've never been treated so poorly as I have on Alaska Air. They seated me away from my children. When I went to ask about a seat change, I was told that when you buy the cheapest tickets, you get the cheapest seats. That's fairly blunt, isn't it? (laughs) They only offered beverages once on a six-hour flight, and in case you miss the fine print, they don't gate check bags. So if you're traveling with three kids, make sure you're prepared to haul around a ton of extra bags, then be prepared for them to tell you that their overhead bins are full, cheapest seats or not, I will never fly with them again. Okay, so a lot going on here. The beverage service, yeah, different airlines do that do that differently. Uh, you probably, if you want something else, just to kind of get that one away first, six-hour flight, 
you know, push the call button or go back to the galley if the seatbelt says not. They'll, they'll they will give you another drink. I'm almost <laughs> certain. Uh, but let's talk about the seat assignments and the bags. Ben, is this fine or a whine? Uh, Heather expected a, the bags to be gate checked. I have enormous day. empathy with somebody traveling with three kids. Yeah. Oh sure. my gosh. I mean, that's sure. that's got to be very very difficult and sh- and. Well, to go with the theme, schlepping a lot of bags around. (laughs) (laughs) It can't be fun either. That said, sometimes bag fees and seat assignment fees make sense. And sometimes they're worth it. And in a case like this, I think Heather would have spent a little more money, but she could have absolutely let the airline carry most of those bags for her. And she could have made sure that she and her children all sat together. That said, if... She wanted to pay for the bags, but still wanted to be seated together. And I know there's been, I saw a recent story that there's some action of someone saying families are going to need to be seated together. And we'll see where that potential legislation goes. But I found when traveling that I almost always hear somebody asked to move. And when you see someone traveling with kids, asking someone to move so the kids can be together, I think there's a really good chance that most people are going to say, sure, I'll move so you can sit with your kids or so, yeah. more importantly, so your kids can sit with you. Right. I don't want right. to sit next well, to them anyway. Say, my philosophy with that, Ben, is I don't pay for, you know, when it's an airline where you have to pay for any seat assignment, I don't pay. So we have, we have one kid. So it's three of us usually traveling together. You, you know our daughter, Abriana, um, and uh, she's five. And and my philosophy is, I check now. I check in exactly twenty four hours out, and almost always we do get seats together. And when we don't, if somebody else doesn't want to trade seats with me, so that they're s- sitting next, you know, there's if they don't trade, they're sitting next to my kid. I figure that's their problem, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, I mean, I I have empathy for her. Traveling with three kids isn't fun. You should get a drink more often than that. You talked about how to solve that. But I I really think this is more of a whine because the airlines offer the ability to take your bags for you, to make sure you can sit together. And yes, it costs a little more. But if you're you're taking a trip to Hawaii, you're spending lots of money on lots of things for a six-hour flight, sometimes a fee like that is absolutely worth it. Just like fees to wait in a shorter line sometimes when you go things or sit in a better seat at a concert, get you a better view of the band, right? It's the same idea. Right, right. No, and, and I was uh, joking mostly about the uh, about trading seats, but I do accept when I don't pay for these things. I do accept there is every possibility that I am going to have to that, that the worst case scenario uh, is going to happen, even though I might get lucky. Um, and yeah, the gate checking bags. It's funny. Our airlines kind of created this thing, and I guess that's the point of the carry on fees. They kind of created a situation where there's this incentive to try to carry all your worldly possessions through security to the gate because then maybe you won't have to pay and then often they'll say well there's not enough space we'll gate check the bag but that was never a policy uh you know the idea was whatever you carried through you were gonna have to carry with you and 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 then yeah maybe they'll gate check it for 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 their benefit because there's not enough space on board but that's not something that that uh, that you should ever expect. I'll give one other piece of advice for for people who aren't paying for seats, and this is you know not official advice, but if you if you're booking on an airline where there are like a few uh, where some seats are you have to pay for them when you go to see the, the seat the seat mask it's called the seat map, uh, and and some are free. If if like let's say there are three people traveling together and the only three seats you see are like three middle seats not next to each other, if you just 
don't select seats. And again, this is not official advice, but I'm just telling you, if you just don't select seats, and then if there are lots of like the other paid seats available, you're actually more likely later to get seated together because a few other because other people will take those last few free seats, and then when you check in, it, it, they're probably going to seat you together. So if if there are only a few free seats, and if you're not willing to pay for a seat, maybe just don't pick those seats if if they're if, if you if you absolutely hate the seats, and uh, you know if you have a confirmed ticket, you have every right to a seat on that plane, every much a right to, as as anybody else doing the airline ultimately is going to assign you a seat, and it might better don't blame me if that doesn't work out but i'm just telling you that that's uh that might give you a, a better shot at actually uh getting what you want but if you really care about getting specific seats as ben said that, that you know that that's what that's what the fees are for um and, and uh it, it could be worth paying for them just like travel insurance and other things that are not for everybody but it it serves a purpose and worth paying for it uh certainly for some people well on final approach now that does it for Airlines Confidential this week, please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429, or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com, or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. And promising you. no more Yiddish, I'm Ben Balbanza. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Seth Kaplan here. Take care. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.